Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 8 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. Today is one of those education days, particularly geared to the coffee professional or aspiring cafe owner looking to create a more efficient coffee bar. That said, anyone who deals with a small kitchen will get a lot out of this episode, too. Today's Coffee Smarter expert is Alden Hazuri. If you listen to the show, you may recognize that name. Alden is the founder and head roaster of Crossings Coffee Roasters, and he is the operator of Cafe La Terre, one of this show's roast industry partners in Southern California. The Cafe La Terre shops are a collaborative business effort with Salon World Suites, a chain of salon co-working spaces. The coffee shops can be found inside the salons, and as such, are given a very, very small footprint to work with. Alden's going to walk us through the process from concept to layout to adapting to the unanticipated consequences of putting this thing there and that thing over here. As for me, this morning I'm drinking a pour-over cup of Ethiopia that I brewed as a V60, and I'm using my new gooseneck water kettle, which I'm very excited about. I'm going to take this cup and sit on the steps under the overhang, And I hope wherever you are, you decide to brave the outdoors a little bit too today. But if not, that's okay too, because the weather be pretty crazy everywhere. It was so hot in SoCal this week, I actually went to sleep with ice packs, and I invested in some cans of cold brew for the mornings. Wherever you are, I hope that your coffee mug is full, and you're ready to get coffee smarter today with Alden Hazuri of Crossings Coffee Roasters and Cafe La Terre on this episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. Why don't we get just get started real quick and just I, I know you you've been on the show before some of the listeners know you but some don't do do us a favor and say uh, just let us know what your name is and uh, what it is that you do in the world of coffee. My name is Alden Hosuri and I I do a little bit of everything in coffee you know I, I think um, kind of like what you were alluding to before, my, my goal is to kind of build an empire, but not for myself. The goal is to uh, kind of build this empire with the, I guess, maintaining the three principles of how I live my life and how I run my businesses. And those pillars are uh, foundations of kindness, community, and in the pursuit of excellence. The way I, I try to manifest or Um, instill these virtues is um, through a few different branches of my business, one of which is a roasting side. I I wholesale, I source and uh, curate coffees uh, specific for shops and whatever, um, you know, or restaurants kind of to match the flavor profile that they're seeking. I have a um, consulting branch uh, where I do help and offer support, training, QC, bar flow management, you know, everything that it takes to kind of get to the nitty gritty and even as far back out as like, you know, scale development of businesses. And uh, within that, I have been more recently involved with helping several shops open up, develop, manage their own coffee concepts. The biggest of which right now is a, is a chain of cafes that I'm currently building for a company in San Diego called Cafe La Terre. The concept is kind of like a joint 
mixed space with um, a salon. So our cafes are inside of a high-end kind of boutique salon. Uh, we've got a bunch of locations across the Southwest planned, currently one in Solana Beach, another in Encinitas. We'll soon be expanding up into LA, possibly out into Vegas, and looking to actually open our first standalone brick and mortar for the concept somewhere in North County, all within the next year or so. It never ceases to amaze me when I talk to you how much stuff you have going on. Your work with Cafe La Terre is one of the reasons that I was excited to have you back on as a Coffee Smarter expert this season. The Cafe La Terre spaces are uniquely efficient. In the way that this closet that I'm sitting in is small, your cafe's footprints are very small because they you know, any extra uh, space that those cafes take is taking away from the salon space that is also a revenue driver for that business. So you you go into these, one, where every cafe is going to be a little bit different based on the space and the retail space that you're allotted, uh, indoor and outdoor. And there's going to be different rules for different landlords and, different, you know, everything's going to be a little bit different. But you're also given a very small footprint. So one of the things that I was excited to talk to you about this uh, on the show is how you go about setting up a coffee bar efficiently because it's something you're uniquely qualified to do. And I'd like to take it all the way to kind of the very beginning of that process. When you're looking at like a blank, empty space, how do you begin to envision what it's going to look like in the future? Where does that process start for you? That's a terrific question. I'd say for me, it really starts with looking at the menu we're trying to create. You know, workflows are kind of built out, born from, you know, your your menu. So if, you know, you're trying to build a coffee concept, you know, when I sat down with these folks, you know, that was actually one of the first questions we talked about was what kind of cafe are we looking for? Is it just going to be coffee, tea? Are we looking to do food? Do you want an espresso bar? You know, how much of an experience are we trying to create for not only the tenants of the salon, but also the community at large? We're not trying to pigeonhole ourselves into just serving tenants and their clients, but also, you know, our neighbors, you know, the residencies that that are all around us. And they said enthusiastically, we want a full coffee bar. We want everything. We want to let people know that, hey, we've got a, you know, a kick-ass program director. We've got an amazing menu and you can come and rely on us for a cup of your morning joe. So that was a little thrilling and a little also in line with, I had, I had previously helped another uh, business in San Diego open up a tiny little coffee corner inside of an existing business. And through that experience, I was able to kind of get a better feel for what ergonomically is really important for not only storage and where equipment's going to go, but like the specific placement of each equipment, you know, how can we can make sure one person can kind of man or, or woman or personify, you know, as many stations as possible without scrambling or running back and forth to, you know, knock out drinks. So when I sat down, I actually used uh, like a kind of like a cheaper version of, you know, kind of like a CAD software to kind of just like render out what the space would look like. I even got little paper cutouts just to make sure that, you know, I could move things around and, and see what would make sense and kind of putting myself into the position of whoever's standing behind bar. With the first location that we opened up in Solana Beach, there was an added level of complexity because they had also wanted to open up a window, kind of like a serving window. So not only would we have a point of sale facing inwards inside the salon, but another one pointed outside to the community at large. 
Uh, let me interrupt you just to clarify something for anyone listening. That Solana beach space that you're talking about right now, can you give us an idea of roughly what the square footage of that inside footprint is? I can give you an exact square footage. It's 199 <laughs> square feet. Okay. So 199 square feet is very small when you are thinking about the size of a cafe. So, okay. So n- knowing that we're playing with that, that sub 200 number, uh, I'll, I'll let you continue. Apologies for the interruption. Oh, totally fine. So we've got, you know, a list of all of my equipment that I'm going to need. Okay. We're doing an espresso bar. I need an espresso machine. I need an espresso grinder. I probably need a decraft grinder. I'm going to need a coffee brewer because when you're working with a space that's small, usually you're going to be working with one person, maybe two people max at a time. I don't really want to take time away for them to stop and do pour overs or French press. I need automation, but I need automation again with excellence in mind. So I already had that equipment picked out. I'd like to do a water tower so I can have hot water ready for teas. Oh, we're a, a cafe concept. I need a three comp sink. I need floor drains. I need a refrigerator. I need a grab and go for things like bars and juices and things like that. So very quickly, you're able to kind of build out what is all the equipment I'm going to need. And then I started looking at like building code and ADA, American Disabilities Act requirements for spaces as well. What kind of materials do we need to use? You know, all these different things. And then also, you know, the added level of complexity in cost effectiveness as well. You know, we were a brand new concept. We were opening up in the middle of COVID. And even though we had full faith that, you know, with a good product and a good service, you know, build it and they will come, you know, comes to mind. But, you know, to kind of take an already tiny space, fit all the equipment that we need, keep in mind building codes. And again, these ADA compliances really starts to, I wouldn't, I would even say it makes things a little easier because there isn't a whole lot of flexibility on what you're able to do. Oh, this fridge needs to go over here. Oh, actually, we can't put it up there. We need to get an under counter because the upright would take away from counter space that we could use for food prep. You know, the three comp sink, you know, okay, well, getting a, a, a full lengthwise, you know, straight line uh, takes up a lot of space. If I get an L shape, I can stuff that in the corner and I can build a pony wall so that my espresso machine can go next to it and I don't have to worry about splash over from the sink next. You know, all these different things start coming to mind. So I kind of position myself in one space and, okay, what am I doing? Um, where am I knocking my, my porta filter out? Where's my trash bin going to go? Where can I reach more easily to have teas accessible? Okay, cool. I'm going to pivot around. Okay. Milks. Mm. If I'm doing this, you know, a hundred times a day, that could get a little overwhelming. So I want to move the refrigerator a little over this way so I can get that to be even more efficient for when someone's, you know, 17 tickets deep and they're trying to, you know, catch up again. And so slowly you kind of whittle down side by side until you were left with, more or less a rough shape on what the space is going to look like, where equipment's going to go. And the next level is to kind of apply the things like counter height. And then, you know, okay, I've got this much counter space available for my espresso bar. How am I going to set up my espresso machine? Where are my arms going to go? What makes most sense for me to, you know, knock the portafilter out or brush it out, you know, grab another uh, dose of espresso. And I kind of just play with these things in my head and try to think about if I'm doing this 20 times, 50 times, 100 times a day, how can I drop into a good rhythm that doesn't take away or create disruptions in keeping up with demand we might have? And all the while that you're thinking about that, you are also have to be aware of 
what the user experience will be, uh, which is a, kind of a web term. But in real life, you're talking about what I, what are people going to see when they're standing at the counter? What are people going to see when they're standing at the window? The window, I think, is a something that maybe you wouldn't think about at first if you weren't in this position regularly. But by having that window, you're also taking away from space that you could have something above counter height because people need to be able to see in that huge window that people come up to and get their food and their coffee and their whatever from has to be clear and open. So you uh, at the Solana Beach location, which I've been to, you have two separate lines of sight uh, for customers, one inside and one outside. And you have to be aware of both. Um, So when you're setting up your coffee bar efficiently, you're not only thinking about how, and tell me if I'm wrong here, you're not only thinking about how it will be for your barista who's doing all these things uh, and how efficient it will be for them, but you're thinking about how it looks from a visual standpoint. Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up. So that kind of, for me, falls under my category in the pursuit of excellence. And, you know, I, I use the word pursuit of excellence because I don't think you're ever going to always just be excellent. You know, we're in a constantly flowing and dynamic landscape. And so if we're always in the pursuit of it, it kind of allows, gives space for curiosity and to improve upon what we've already created. So to your point, being mindful about the, the, the customer experience is a whole other, like, you know, uh, rabbit hole. I, I absolutely love going down, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, what is this person thinking of when they're waking up and being like, I need a cup of coffee. Who are the first shops that come to mind? Maybe they're going to Google coffee shops in my area. All right, great. How do we get to the top of that list? How do we become the most visible? And let's say they do happen to choose us and they come on through. What is their experience when they first walk up and perceive us? What do we look like? What is the setup? Is it organized? Is it clean? Is it messy? Is it chaotic? How do we kind of not hide, but shield away parts that maybe take away from their perceived experience of what they're about to participate in, you know, from the salon side of things. I have a glass wall that kind of extends out to block people's view of like the three comp sink, because I don't know, I'm making an assumption here, but some people might be a little, "Mm, that's, you know, a bit of a turnoff to see, you know, sinks with dishes or cleaning solutions, things like that. And from the other side, how do I also make sure that whoever's from the window can still get a clean shot of the espresso machine? Oh, I also really love the look of this grinder. I think it's a bit of a showpiece. Where can I position that? So when people see, they'd be like, wow, that is a really strange piece of equipment. What is that? Great talking point. Let me tell you all about it. And uh, it goes on and on until, you know, it comes down to how are we preparing the drink? How do we, you know, kind of bring in a little bit of the, like the theatrics and uh, the beauty when it comes to pulling a shot, tamping it, you know, steaming milk, pouring it. So it's in view of whoever's either at the counter inside or at the window outside. And then the delivery, what does the cup look like? What do the lids look like? Make sure they fit properly. How are we handing it off to them? You know, I want to make sure that we're on their minds throughout this entire process. And, you know, when they finally finish that cup and and toss or recycle it, what is that final sip for them like? You know, I think that's a big part of, of also that experience as well. I don't want that last sip to be the thing they remember the most because, you know, if it's a big drink and they get to that last sip, it might be cold. Maybe, you know, the espresso shot died. Maybe some of the milk separated and, you know, that last sip might be representative to their entire experience. You know, how do we greet them? How do we maintain conversation? What does the exit look like? These are all different pieces that come into play with curating that experience for them. The idea that you're thinking about the last sip is really interesting to me because I always remember places by my first sip, by my first engagement. And 
that first moment of, oh, yeah, this is what I wanted or, oh, no, this isn't or walking in and seeing, you know, tables that aren't clean or whatever. I, over the last couple of years, I've actually adjusted what my expectations of hospitality are because there has been, in addition to COVID, you know, COVID limits some things and a changing workforce has changed, you know, how much we can do, uh, how much a business can do in in the space that they have with how many employees they have. And so maybe my expectations were predicated on my experience in hospitality pre-COVID. And so I had to adjust that. But the, the idea that you're thinking about their last sip being the one that is the most important, and I go into it thinking about the first, I would also kind of change track a little bit. And just as you're talking about this, you meant you kind of referenced it earlier as you're thinking about the layout and the setup, you know, how many times you're going to do this. I think replication is something people forget about. There are some very beautiful, beautifully designed restaurants in particular in the San Diego area that I've been to that are very clearly not designed by anyone who's ever worked in a restaurant. (laughs) I don't know how to say that without it kind of sounding like a dig and it's not because they're so beautiful. It's worth the experience. But when you are doing something over and over and over again and trying to maintain consistency, that gets more difficult when the steps to complete an activity are greater. And so for an example, if you need to turn and you can tell me how you try to to figure this this part out. I think having a small space helps, but if I'm taking an order at the window and then I have to turn to the grinder to grind the beans and that takes me two and a half steps, that is an extra second both ways where I'm not engaged or I'm not looking out at my customer or that it's taking between customers. Now, that doesn't sound like much, and if it's a slow day, it's probably not. But if there's 20 people in line and that last person in line is now waiting an extra two or three minutes, that could be enough to inspire them to go across the street. And, you know, it might change their experience. And for my barista, those extra two steps are now multiplied. That's an extra 500 steps. No, I'm getting tired faster. I'm getting sore faster. It doesn't sound like much, but you just have to think about it in terms of multiplication, uh, tamping, you know, if you're tamping the wrong way a hundred times a day, five days a week, you will eventually blow your elbow out or your wrist. And mm-hmm. so how do you think about that in terms of you've, you've already referenced how you think about it in terms of how the customer sees things. How do you do that in terms of your, your, your staffs, your employees? Another amazing question. So when I'm interviewing for these locations, it's nice to have someone come up to me with coffee experience, you know, Starbucks or a local cafe or, you know, a, a Java shack, you know, wherever you're coming from, if you, you know, give a damn, pardon my language, about what you're doing and you have that show up factor that, you know what, I'm I'm investing my time into something and my time is something I value. So I'm going to show up with everything I got. Like that X factor is the thing I look for first and foremost. So even if you don't have experience and you're just passionate about wanting to show up, I can work with that. And I want to hinge on that point because I'll get people coming in and thinking, I know what I'm doing. You know, I've been in coffee for five years. I've been in coffee for seven years. Like I know how to pull a shot and I'm sure they do. And I do a few things differently. 
and they might be exposed to something that maybe they haven't seen before. So when they come on board and we agree, we're like, yeah, we think we'd be a good fit. The chemistry feels right. They're not immediately just like thrown on bar, you know, by themselves and left to their devices. It's, uh, they drop into what I call kind of like a two week intensive training period. And this is a two way street for us both to kind of gauge and assess where we're at. You know, they might have experience and I want to see what areas they might need support or opportunities for growth in. They might even want to be able to see what the scope of this working space would look like. You know, like, like with most employment, it's um, blanking on the word right now, but basically there's like, there's no commitment. They could realize, you know what? I thought I'd like this and I don't. I'm so sorry. And that's totally fine. You know, I want to be able to know that earlier ahead of time before we invest time in each other, before realizing that you're not really enjoying your time here or we're not feeling like the dynamic is working out here. But that two week intensive training is really kind of like a, if you were ever played sports in high school, it's kind of like a hell week where we're going to be doing things over and over and over again, because I want to see how's your tampling look? You know, what is your body posture when you're steaming milk? What's your body posture when you're pouring? I've seen some people come in and they're like, you know, contorting themselves to try to pour this cup so that the customer can see what they're pouring. And, you know, I'm looking at their back and I'm like, Oh my God, your back. I feel so bad for your back. Like relax, like shake it out. Like <laughs> we're good. Like let's, let's try, let's try reframing and reprogramming a lot of these, these ways that you've been used to doing things and create something that's more posturally comfortable, looks a little bit more presentable and professional and will give you the longevity you need to get through an entire day. Because that repetition does really add up, especially in such a, such a tight space where, um, you might be doing a lot of the same like micro kind of explosive movements, you know, bending over, opening the door, pulling milk, out, throwing milk back in, you know, these things, they do stack up and compound over the course of a day. And, uh, it's important to like recognize what are the areas that might wear out the fastest. And, uh, you brought up a point earlier when you've got like 20 people in line, you know, for days like that, you know, I did build the space or these spaces with the ability to be able to fit two people inside at a time to make it even hyper efficient. So one person's, you know, running the window, the other person's running the actual machine. And at that point, we get to practice communication. You know, it's, it's, it, it's always like my, my, my heart hums and my ears feel like it's gold when I'm going to kind of just, in, I'm watching uh, them work and I'll hear one person taking an order at the window and I'm watching the person on espresso already starting to hear it. Like they already know what's going on. They're already attuned to what's going on at the window. They can start preparing ahead of time because they know the early start on this drink, the more prepared they'll be for the drink after that and after that and after that. Yeah. That's the barista shuffle. You have to learn that. Um, exactly. When we're talking about 200 square feet, you're actually actual barista space, maybe three feet by five feet. If that of space that they are adjusting each other around. Uh, yeah. It can be a very tight space. I think for the year that I did spend as a barista, uh, we had we stood on a platform that had cush, uh, a rubber mat on it to help protect our, our joints, but it was 28 inches by, I think, 60 inches. That was the space that we had. And we would sometimes have three employees on there working oh you know, simultaneously. So you learn to be very... Uh, quick to you learn each other's movements and some people move in a different way. And, and as an employee, uh, it's important to know that that that's the case. I want to recap before I get lost or I lose the, the thread. But in the beginning, you are looking at an empty space and essentially working on a layout based on the equipment list that you have and trying to keep in mind uh, in that case, you're doing. You were doing it on a CAD program. You might actually be doing it on a piece of paper. I think a lot of times cafes start on you know the back of a napkin or in a notebook, and you kind of start drawing out 
sinks and tables and things, and then go into three dimensions. So you're keeping in mind the physical layout. You're keeping in mind the visual layout that a both a customer and employee might might have. You're keeping in mind how to do the job to the best quality as efficiently as possible to try to limit problems or concerns, you know, not just uh, injury from repetitive or repetitive injury, but I'm thinking of like, if my milk is down over here and to get it, I have to reach around a door, uh, the door opens awkwardly, I might spill that milk once a week. Well, now that's a, a gallon of milk I've lost and time lost to a mess. And I feel like there was a fourth thing. What was the fourth thing? I'd say like building code. Building code. That's right. The most important one, if you would like to be open for business. <laughs> uh, exactly. And they don't care about the rest of these things. Uh, so you have to, to factor that in. If I can offer or modify one piece of, of additional support, you know, for this space, I think the one thing that was helpful, because there's not going to be like a recipe just to follow, you know, follow steps A through G and you hit success. Yeah, it's very much trial and error. Like I can't tell you how many hours I spent starting down one path or like building layout and then, you know, you know, 16 hours in and I realized there's a critical, you know, flaw or something we're not going to be able to work around. I've got to scrap it and start all over again. But starting with like the things that you can't change. So when I came into that space, that building was already built out. You know, we couldn't retrench. We couldn't, you know, um, move the window. That window was already there. The, uh, the floor drains were already there. So that kind of, again, it did restrict what flexibility I had, but it also did give me a few seeds to start from. Like, okay, obviously this is where we're starting here. What can I do to build out from this concept? And then everything else kind of falls into place. So even though they're restrictive, uh, they offer as, you know, kind of like a filter. So, you know, filter out all the options that don't work and I just get to work with the ones that do. And then you kind of, you know, massage it for the gold for all the ergonomics we talked about before. A few months ago, I had stopped by the the newest Cafe La Terre location in Encinitas. And that day you were dialing in a Guatemala coffee that you roasted uh, with your company, Crossings uh, uh, Coffee Roasters. It's been all summer since since then. How did that coffee turn out for you? And two, what are you drinking and roasting these days that you're getting excited about? And I should say that a lot of your roasted coffee is what is being served in Cafe La Terre currently. Yeah, that coffee turned out great. It's something that there's a there's a, a fine line. I you know I have my my preferences on the cup of coffee I like to roast or the cup of coffee I like to drink. And then there's also kind of a pandering is not the right word, but you know I I had to look at what our demographic is drinking. What do they like? And what's a coffee that again you know being mindful of the consumer experience, something that matches the flavor profile they enjoy, something that's in line with what I can stand behind something that matches the rest of our menu, pairs well with syrups, pairs well with the milks that we're choosing. And that ultimately ends up being a coffee that is not a dark roast, but a little darker than how I typically like to roast. And so it's been kind of a, a work in progress to dial that coffee in. And at the same point, you know, trying to be mindful of knowing that that's a coffee or a, or a varietal or a, um, uh, a region that I can source from consistently. You know, I, I, I love how some shops are able to rotate through, I'm envious if anything, actually, uh, you know, like this month's special is going to be a Peruvian, you know, Peabody or next month is a Kenya double A, you know, and be able to have that rotational coffees on hand. We found in our, our polls and our studies when kind of walking through the neighborhoods that 
they wanted something consistent, something they could get that tasted the same in March as it does in December. And I don't want to buy a container full of coffee and have it sit. You know, I think over the span of, you know, eight, nine months, that coffee will probably be fine. Um, but I, I do want to make sure that the coffee we're sourcing is as fresh as possible and, uh, but still matches the menu that they've come to expect. So, uh, fast forward to now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm loving that Guatemala. I'm actually sipping on a Colombia right now, actually sipping on my Colombia espresso right now, you know, which is a coffee that I roast dark enough for espresso, but light enough that if you want to brew it on like a French press or something that has a little bit more of like that full immersion type effect, it does pull through with a nice solid, you know, punch to the face. <laughs> Uh, well, I certainly appreciate that punch to the face every morning. It helps get me going. Alden, I really appreciate you coming and being on the show again and taking some of that time. I'm not sure when you sleep, actually, with all the roasting and the operations and the planning, <laughs> and I know there's the future things. I'm going to assume that you've got that all figured out, and you've got some sort of diamond system that you sleep in at night to help rejuvenate you, uh, a la no, an old, terrible Bond movie. Thank you for being here. Uh, I'm looking forward to having you back on the show. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the equipment uh, next week uh, that we were that you were setting up today in our in our chat, and uh, I'll I'll swing down and try that Columbia. I can't wait. It's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Okay, to recap, the creation of an efficient coffee bar means being aware of human impact and movement within a physical space. If you're building out a cafe, you also need to consider the rules and regulations put upon you by the health department and building codes. If you're at home, you'll need to be more concerned about space and convenience and space. I said space twice because we have a very small kitchen, and we're constantly making choices about what stays out on the counter and what doesn't. Success in your efforts towards efficiency will come with trial and error. Alden recommends starting with things you can't change, for example, where a drain is, or what power outlets you may have to work around. It is kind of like playing a real-life minesweeper. Don't be afraid to adapt as you go. The three pillars that Alden runs his life and his businesses by are kindness, community, and the pursuit of excellence. The parameter of those ideals will be a little bit different for everyone, but I do think it helps to have an ethos or a motto to fall back on when you're confronted with decisions both in business and in life. That's all for today's show. Alden will be back again next week to continue our journey into coffee smarterness, coffee smartening, growing our coffee intelligence. I think that's the right one. This show's industry partners include the aforementioned Cafe La Terre, as well as Coffee Cycle Roasting, Ignite Coffee Company, and First Light Whiskey. Don't forget to use the discount code RWC on barbank.com to get 15% off your order of First Light Coffee Whiskies, that's RWC, all capital letters, on barbank.com. I'll add that link in the show notes and on roastwestcoast.com. I also want to thank our partners Maria Coffee, Ascend Coffee Roasters, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, Camp Coffee Company, and Steady State Coffee Roasting, who, besides being a top-notch roastery and cafe, are hiring. If you're looking for a job in coffee and you live in North County, San Diego, I know that is a very specific portion of the audience. You can apply by sending your resume to hello at steadystateroasting.com, and if you get the job, I will definitely see you there. If you are listening to this show for the first time and you want more coffee content, head to roastwestcoast.com. 
sign up for the free or paid newsletters, and be awesome. Thank you all for listening and for supporting the show. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this episode has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. Always tip your baristas and be sure to drink good coffee. Hey there, thanks for sticking around. I'll see you in a couple days with part two of the interview with Ryan Espy and David Elizondo of First Light Whiskey.